The following sermon audio is from Love City Church, Cincinnati. More audio and information about Love City Church can be found at www.mylovecitychurch.org. Verse 2. Uh, the first thing that we see from verse 2 here is that uh, Paul knows these qualities that he has laid out are not the automatic byproduct of age, right? So he's saying, you're going to have to give some instructions to older men. Here's what I want you to tell them. We see that Paul understands that just having years doesn't necessarily mean you're going to have these qualities uh, of wisdom and behavior, okay? So uh, just because someone is older does not mean they are wiser, However, we know from 1 Timothy 5, where Paul is giving Timothy similar instructions that he's giving to Titus here, he tells him there that a younger man should approach an older man with respect and as if he's talking to a father, even when he is teaching him about what godly character looks like, okay? So respect and honor should always be in place, and uh, there's not effective reciprocation with teaching and learning anyways without that in any situation. Um, So here's some of the things, uh, we'll just run through real quick what... uh, Paul is telling Titus to teach older men to have in their character. He says, first of all, to be temperate, okay? Temperate is sober-minded. That's both able to think rationally through a situation uh, and also somebody whose mind is not constantly clouded by the effects of some foreign substance. You should be temperate. Uh, Dignified. Now, this doesn't mean that older men have to be a stoic, stick-in-the-mud type of guy all the time. What it does mean is that they should know you know, when it is okay to laugh and make other people laugh. How many of you have, have a or at least know of a goofy dad? Like he's got a joke for every situation. There's about 25 jokes total, right? But they're just on a circle. And it gets like when you're 13 or 14, it's like you're so sick of it. But then by the time you're an adult again, it's funny again because you've heard him so many times, right? Um, maybe I'm the only one or you're asleep, but I, I think there's a lot of dads like that, okay? And I'm trying my hardest to get there with Lucy. She already rolls her eyes at me. She's four. So I think I'm in, in good shape for having, having the, the goofy dad situation under control. But um, it's, it's not just being stoic all the time. That's not what dignified means. You, you should laugh. You should make your kids laugh. You should be able to laugh yourself. But there's also a time to be serious. And part of being dignified is being able to know the difference between the two. Sensible, we see this word a lot from Paul, is another way to say self-controlled. That's a fruit of the Spirit, and it's important for all of life and representing the Lord well in any situation. We need to be self-controlled. He also says that he should, uh, older men should be sound in faith, love, and perseverance. This speaks to the quality of being steadfast and immovable. I think the tendency for folks to get stubborn as they get older can actually be a good thing. If they are stubborn about never wavering in their faith... If they're stubborn about loving everybody like Christ has loved them, no matter what. If they're too stubborn to ever, ever give up, I think that's a good thing. We desperately need gospel fathers to model for us and be an example to us of these things. Our enemy does not want this to happen, by the way. Just a small caveat. Our Father God has built us in such a way that when we come together in unity and set our minds towards accomplishing something, There is an exponential amount of power that is not there when we try to do things on our own. This gift of power and unity among people is so hardwired into the reality of things that it can can even work against God sometimes. And I don't think you have to think real hard, even in our day today, that when people get together with a dumb idea, you, you can get enough people together that buy into that dumb idea. They can get something done, even if it's heading the wrong way, 
right? You can, you can accomplish stuff. There's also a biblical example, in case you didn't like that one. If you go to Genesis 11, the Tower of Babel, uh, you know, everybody gets off the, the Noah's boat, and not too long afterwards, men are back at their, their silliness, and they, they all settle in this plane. They start saying to each other, you know, we are pretty amazing, and we should build something to let everyone know, right? So they say they're going to build this tower all the way to heaven. And uh, here's God's words about it. He says, let us go down there and confuse their language. Because if we don't, they're going to do whatever they put their minds to. What that's, why did God have to go intervene? Because apparently, he has infused into humanity a, an exponential power that is increased when we come together in unity. I see this also in John 17 when Jesus prays. One of the last things Jesus is just vibrantly concerned about before he goes to the cross is that we would be in unity. I think that's because he knew he was about to kick off our mission by doing what he did, right? Um, imagine what we could get done for the kingdom if we had the kind of unity that Jesus prayed for in John 17, the kind of unity that, that these knuckleheads at the Tower of Babel had. They, they were in unity. They were going to do something. It was wrong. It was wrong-headed. But Jesus came down, right, I know I'm in the Old Testament, but here's the bottom line. God said, let us go down and confuse their language. Who's he talking to? That's right, Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Our God is triune. We don't have time for that right now. But it's a fun subject. It's a good head spinner. Uh, so God comes down, confuses their language because they would have got it done. Because God put into humanity this ability for us to get together in unity and get a job done. Um, the beautiful thing is that we could get a whole lot done for the kingdom because God is not going to come down and inter intervene when the power of unified people is pointed towards the preaching of the gospel. He's got no reason to intervene. As a matter of fact, he's going to get behind us and push even harder. So just imagine what could happen, what could get done, how much glory could be brought to the name of Christ if people would get in unity. And here's the thing. Satan, our common enemy, knows there's power in the unity of people. Okay, He uses it to defy God and he also does everything possible to tear it apart among God's people. He tries to sow bitterness, disunity everywhere he possibly can. He does this through pride and getting people to be overly sensitive and easily offended about anything that uh, he possibly can. And one of the ways that the enemy's been unfortunately successful in doing this is to drive wedges between different generations of God's people. Um, be very wise for younger people to have respect and reverence for those that are older than them. Be very wise for those that are older in the faith not to disregard the younger because they might dress or talk differently than they do. Be very wise for all of us to realize there's a big job to get done. And we have no time for any division in any way. And if generations would come together for the common purpose of making Jesus' name great in the earth instead of being separated by dumb, trivial stuff, I think it'd be really amazing. I think Jesus prayed about it. I'd just like the opportunity to be a part of answering a prayer that King Jesus had. I just find that a cool thought. I hope you do too. Um, I think we should also consider Paul's context for using the words younger and older as well, because I think you may have the potential to put yourself in the wrong group. Uh, when he was writing this, life expectancies were a lot shorter, and Paul, being a Jew, was used to the custom of both bar and bat mitzvah. So Jewish boys were able to marry and sign a contract at the age of 13, um, and they, that's when they would have their bar mitzvah. For girls, it was 12, and that was their bat mitzvah. 
Um, and we could hear today sit and say how horrible it is and backward to force children to grow up so early, or we could consider the possibility that we are extending adolescence a bit too long, or way too long. My point being that what we consider older and younger may not have been what Paul had in mind, okay? But either way, no matter what you think about that, where you place yourself in the kind of, you know, grid, younger men should humbly learn from and respect older men. Older men should humbly learn from and respect younger men. Did you catch that? This exact same principle is laid out for the women in God's church in the next few verses. So I'm in verse 3 now. Uh, and here in verse 3, it says, uh, we see that Paul is addressing a common problem in Greece in general and in Crete in particular, okay? So he's talking here, it says, Older women likewise are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good, okay? Um, when older women who either were widows or uh, their children were grown, so they had a lot more free time, a lot of times in this day, they would end up just kind of acting out the modern-day equivalent of a soap opera. Uh, they were just drinking all the time. They were gossiping. They were stirring up drama and just generally causing problems because they didn't have a whole lot else to do. Um, now, part of Paul's admonishment to older men about perseverance and his instruction here to older women not to just kind of shift into neutral if you find yourself with more free time, both of those are an encouragement that as long as you have breath, hear me, you have a role in the kingdom. There is no retirement from gospel mission or building God's kingdom, period. If you have the privilege of retiring from your job, uh, that just means your mission of living life like Jesus and helping people trust him shifts primarily from your place of work to wherever the next place or places are that God calls you, okay? Uh, verse 4, the NASB here uh, uses the word encourage, right? So it says that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands, on it goes, uh, the word teach or admonish would work just as good where that word encourage is. Um, and the fact that verse 4 starts with, so they may, tells us that much of the teaching is going to flow out of their example, right? So what does he say first? He says, older women, likewise, are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good, so that they may encourage the young women, right? So we see that... Um, much of their teaching is going to flow out of their example because their ability to teach with credibility is tied to the way they live, right? I think it is important to note, however, in light of that, right? I think primarily the older women are going to have the, the right to effectively teach the younger women because their life warrants it. But I think we should also make note of this. We often tend to think that we can only teach from positive experience, like I've done a good job at this for a long time. Now I can teach you how to do it. I think that's a lot of time how we think. It is, however, humbling and helpful to teach out of our failings as much as it is our successes. I've had many people over the years give me warnings that were informed by their own missteps, and that was very helpful to me, and I'm thankful that they did it. I've also been able to warn others out of my failings so they didn't have to fall in the same holes I did. Silly example, if you're walking down the street with someone and you walk down that street the day before and you know that there's a big hole when you step off this certain curb, are you going to warn the person that you're with or are you going to be too embarrassed that you've already fallen in that hole to let them know? Right? I think 
the loving Christ-like answer is, hey, when we get up to this curb, step over a little bit because there's a hole there. Not, I'm too embarrassed because I fell in that hole yesterday to tell you about it, so I'm just going to watch you walk into it, right? We can, we can teach out of our failings. We can teach out of decisions we've made that weren't so good. The hope being that we've come through that by God's grace. We've seen that that wasn't a good decision, right? Now we can look back on it, use that as a teaching tool, as a grace to somebody else. I'm so thankful for people that were willing to teach me from their struggle so that I could avoid that struggle. That was very loving on their part, very humble. Thankful for it. Um, Isn't it interesting here that Paul says the older women should teach the younger women to love their husbands and their children? Wouldn't we assume normally that love for these people would just come naturally? I think for most women, there is some level of affection that they just have for their family. But the kind of self-sacrificing and service-oriented love that Christ had for us often has to be modeled, taught, and learned. It doesn't just happen naturally. It's not a natural thing. It's supernatural. That brings us to verse 5. We see the same word sensible here again, or self-controlled. He gives that admonishment to both the women and the men. Uh, the, the next word says pure. And this word pure in the Greek, it has a connotation of kind of always being pure in preparation for worship or having a mind to continually keep yourself unspoiled by a tendency for idolatry. Okay, so um, it doesn't just mean that you know, it's not physically clean and it's not perfect, right? Because we know we can't attain that. Um, this side of heaven, but it means just kind of having this mentality that all the time, I would never be disqualified from standing in God's presence to worship Him, right? And we know that ultimately our right to stand in God's presence only become, is only imputed to us. We only have righteous and right standing with God through the finished work of Christ, but um, I guess my goal every day is to be as close to Christ-like as I possibly can be in thought, word, and deed, and that's the idea that that word is pushing to be pure, Uh, The next phrase here says, workers at home. This encouragement for older women to teach younger women has been taken at times to mean that women can only be workers in the home. This verse has been abused and and used to hold women down in an unfortunate manner. Uh, Many commentators, I think they're right, see that this is more of an encouragement for the older women to pass down the skills required um, required to be a mother and a wife whether or not she also uses her giftings outside of a domestic setting. So we see that uh, it says, you know, it tells them to be sensible and pure, uh, and also workers at home, uh, as opposed to that being this sweeping generalization uh, here that women should only ever fulfill the duties required for making a house a home, so to speak. Uh, I don't think that's what Paul is doing. I don't think he's making that sweeping generalization. I think what he's saying is that it is helpful for women who have been doing many of those things for a while to lovingly teach younger women those skills, the skills that it takes to keep a home, to take care of children, uh, to be a wife. Um, I personally know of many of the young women here at Love City who have gone and sought out some of the women who have been wives and mothers for a while to ask for counsel and encouragement and teaching in some of the skills that help a wife and a mother to be a blessing to her family. Um, This is a godly and a wonderful thing. This is how it's supposed to look. So what do we need for that? 
to happen. We need humble young women that don't think they know everything, that know that somebody that's been doing it longer than them could probably be helpful to go seek out the help. And we also need humble older women that don't assume that all these young girls are just useless, right? Burning water and using microwaves. Nasty young girls, right? Uh, We can't have the older women disregarding these younger women. The the motherly love in them has to extend beyond just their biological children to want to be able to sow those skills. And, And I'm saying all that kind of as a, I know this already exists here, um, but this audio will go on the internet and these types of teachings will come up again. And so I just want you to know, in general, this is how our culture should look here at Love City. I believe we've already got a great start at it. I know that some of these relationships already exist, and I'm really blessed by that. I'm thankful for the humility that goes both ways. So thank you, gospel mothers that have done that. I just want to say thank you to all of you that are gospel mothers to me in here. You guys know who you are. I wouldn't be the man I am today without your help and love and guidance um, because mamas are special people. Um, The next one says being subject to their own husbands, okay? Um, Even though some people recoil at the thought of male headship, as we discussed a few weeks ago, that is mostly a result of men not fulfilling that role faithfully, okay? Ephesians 5 does, does tell us that the husband is supposed to be the head of the family, and thus that makes him the head of his wife as well. This headship is qualified, however, by Christ's love for and headship of the church. Okay, so if men were servant leaders the way Christ was with his church, the animosity towards this familial structure would all but disappear. So ultimately, the buck stops with the guys. Now, um, that does not mean that women have a right to demand their husband be a perfect representation of Christ every second of every day. Of course, we all have to have grace on each other as we hope others will have with us. However, um, God does make pretty plain that there's some structures he's put in place, and it's only when um, Christ is not put at the center of those and used as the example for all of that that people start to struggle with it, I think. Uh, So when it says subject to their own husbands, we also see that this in, in that we're talking about loyalty, She should have loyalty to her husband. Um, In that, we're talking about submission on the part of the wife. Um, That does not apply to all men, right? So it says she should be subject to her husband. Um, So men are not set up as the superior gender by God or the scriptures. The reality is somebody has to answer to God for the care, stewardship, and well-being of the family. In our homes, this responsibility is shouldered by the husband, In the church, that responsibility is shouldered by the elders. Okay? So God's coming to somebody to give an account. And it's only people that don't understand that that want to be that person, right? Uh, Because God's pretty serious, and he doesn't play around. And when he lays out expectations, he expects those expectations to be met. Now, the beautiful part is when he lays out expectations, he also promises his grace and strength to help us accomplish it. And that's the only way we have any hope of doing it. Um, but these things are in place by God's command and for the good of us as people. So um, this conduct that's been being given here to older women, it should be modeled and taught by women of God, and when that happens, it will bring honor and glory to King Jesus. To ignore these things or refuse to teach them to others has the potential to bring dishonor to both God and his church. Uh, We see here an echo a little bit of the first chapter in the way Paul's talking because there he had people acknowledging God with their confession but denying him in their actions. 
right? This is called being a hypocrite. And to this day, it is one of the number one things that those who oppose God use to try to discredit him and his word. You ever heard that? I'm not going to serve God. Those Christians are a bunch of hypocrites. Right? Either you're feeling convicted or the air conditioning is putting you to sleep, or you just didn't want to say it out loud because it's hard to have the wrong answer when everyone can hear, right? So, yeah, that's right. The number one thing I hear all the time when somebody's kind of got a loud mouth about how bad Christians are and whatever else is that they're hypocrites. Some of that's undeserved because some of them don't understand that to know Christ doesn't mean you're going to be perfect. Um, but some of it is deserved because there are people that profess Christ with their mouth and then none of their actions back that up. And that does damage to Christ and his word and his church and his credibility. And so Paul's giving that admonishment specifically to the, the ladies here. Um, we see here instructions to women who are mothers through biology, but I want us to understand that the gospel makes the family of God much bigger than the bounds of bloodlines. And we have talked through this series about the desperate need we have for men to take up the mantle and anointing of gospel fathers, uh, but we are in no less need for women to do the same thing as gospel mothers. Um, the question is, what is Paul talking about in verse 4, about women teaching others to love their children? to love their husbands. What, what's contained in that? Let's, I want to look at three aspects together of a mother's love. In the context of and in the understanding of, we're not just talking about those women who have actually born children themselves, but we're talking about also in the context of the larger gospel family that really any woman that has been bought with the blood of Christ, any woman that has gone from darkness to light, any woman that has gone from death to life, any woman that has had the, the chains of sin and idolatry broken from her wrists has the potential then to pick up the character of Christ and with that provide the love that mothers can. There's no need for biology in that transaction. And, and my, I guess the major summary of the entirety of this series is that we need men to step up as gospel fathers and we need women to step up as gospel mothers. Because are there many out there that find themselves today fatherless? Yes. Are there many out there today that find themselves motherless? Whether the mother is, is present or not, you can have a mom in a house and still have people motherless. You can have people that grew up with a mother, but, but still that none of what should come out of a mother's love was there. And because of Christ and his gospel and his ability to increase our capacity for love and increase the capacity of our heart to, to pour out into others, we can, we can fill in those gaps. And I think we should. I think every one of us should seek to meet that need. Because uh, the family of God's a beautiful thing. Do you know why gangs exist? Because families don't. And you know, gangs exist because families don't in a lot of cases. And the church has not done this. Gangs wouldn't have no pull whatsoever if the people of God had wide open, vibrant doors that said, come in here. No matter where you're coming from, no matter what your struggle is, you can find family here because of what Christ has done. Um, we're going to talk about three aspects together of a mother's love. Give us a little bit of shape. Uh, a mother's love is sharpening, it's sympathetic, and it's sacrificial. A mother's love sharpens. Proverbs 27, 17 tells us that as iron sharpens iron, 
so one man can sharpen another. And part of what an anointed mother, part of what anointed mothers do is teach and train those whom she loves to be better in every way. From kindness and manners and respect and gentleness and countless others, there are just some lessons that mamas are a lot better equipped to teach their children than dads are. It's a good spot for the moms and dads to say amen. Amen. A mother who loves her children will teach uh, all of these things in word, but also in deed. Remember when Paul was talking about, he said, so that they may, right? He said, make sure these women live in such a way that then they have credibility to teach others. So it's word and deed. It's very important. Uh, And every person who has ever been raised by a godly mother is better for it, period. If you got a if you got a mama that's loved you well and you haven't called her yet today, you better get on it, all right? Not right now. Give me about 20 minutes and then you can do it. Uh, so a mother's love sharpens. A mother's love is sympathetic. Moms have an ability for empathy and understanding that most dads just never will. I don't think this means that they love the kids more. They are just gifted differently. So as to balance out the parental influence on the children. So the reality is, if Max falls down, he's got the same problem I did as a young kid. He's got a big head, and he's just got a big body altogether. And so when he falls, it hurts because he's heavy, and he's not that graceful. So um, he falls a lot, and when he starts whimpering, right, and mom and dad are both in the room, he's not running to dad because he knows exactly what I'm going to say. I'm going to say, toughen up, boy, quit your belly, ache, and go back and play. That's some variance of that response Unless there's blood, that's what he's getting. Get out of here, right? Uh, Mom's going to hold him, and she's going to kiss the boo-boo, even though there is no medical evidence showing that kissing boo-boos does anything. She's still going to do it. And you could say, well, see right there, moms are more loving. The reality is that Max does need the example of his mother empathizing with him. Part of that process is going to teach him how to empathize with others, and that's a good thing. But there's also going to be times in his life when he's going to need to know how to toughen up and quit belly aching. I think in general, though most people understand, I think most people understand that moms are wired more for empathy and sympathy than dads are. And that's a good thing. So a mother's love sharpens, a mother's love is sympathetic. And a mother's love is sacrificial. I heard someone say once that the phrase working mom is redundant. And I would agree. Whether a mom works outside of the home or not, she works hard. Part of why some folks bristle at the thought of women choosing to be mothers and wives exclusively is because those jobs have been so tragically downplayed. I think that's unfair and tragic. Um, Motherhood is a ministry no less than preaching in the pulpit. And the reality is the influence of mamas in many cases will have more determination on the path someone takes in life than the preachers ever will. The sacrifice of being a mother starts from conception. They have to bear the burden of that little one growing inside them, robbing all the nutrients, the sleep, the comfort for nine months before they even hear that baby's first high-pitched cry. Their sacrifice starts from the jump. Mothers pay an incredibly high price to bring life into the world and to raise those children to be healthy, and most importantly, to raise them to love, serve, and worship the God that made them. 
You're not going to be a godly mama without paying a high price. There's no way around it. I was reminded this week of the sacrifice that mothers make through a very difficult situation. I met a woman who was homeless and pregnant, and she was pregnant because someone had raped her. She was struggling through the incredibly complex emotions that come with that situation, and she was debating whether or not to abort that child. She already knew what God thought about it, and she didn't want to go against him in her words, but she was struggling to imagine it being worth all the sacrifice for a child that not only she didn't want, but that would constantly remind her of that violation and that she had no resources to take care of anyways. So instead of adding to her guilt and shame by quoting scriptures at her that she likely already had heard, I just told her part of my story. And that part of the story was that my mom was real young when she had me. She was, uh, she was 16 and she was in a, um, a lockdown facility because she struggled with drug use. And uh, she staged some kind of like movie-worthy escape with a sock and a lock and running and jumping fences and jumping a river and something else. Um, anyway, she made it to a truck stop, jumps in a truck with some guy, and uh, that guy's my dad, okay? And so she's 16 then, so I think just turned 17 when she had me, and uh, the reality is I was a perfect candidate. For somebody to make a decision like, I don't have the resources to mess with this, uh, I was a perfect candidate to just go be taken care of another way, right? And um, so I told her that story, and, and I just said to her, you know, my mom had it rough, she could have went another way, but I'm really glad that she made the decision she did, because that's the only way I'm sitting here talking to you today, right? Um, And so I am thankful for that, and I'm thankful for the sacrifice that every mother goes through to bring a life into the world and to raise that child. It's really wonderful. Um, when we look at these elements of a mother's love, that it sharpens, that it's sympathetic, and it's sacrificial, we see that really we need, we need natural mothers and gospel mothers. In summary, we need them to love their children like Jesus has loved them. Christ's love sharpens us, doesn't it? To be loved by him is to be called by him, and we are commanded when we are called to follow after Christ, to walk in a manner worthy of his name. Instantly to be loved by Christ is to be sharpened by his character. Instantly to be associated with Christ is to be called up in such a way that we can walk in a manner worthy of his name. When I say I'm a Christian, I'm labeling myself with King Jesus. And that automatically should sharpen the way I'm thinking, what I'm doing, how I'm speaking. Everything is pulled up. Everything is sharpened. Simply because I'm loved by somebody as wonderful as Jesus. Christ loves us and he can sympathize with us. Hebrews 4.15 says this, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. So that's part of the deal. Jesus coming in the flesh, he's, he's able to sympathize with us. He's not a high priest who stands afar off from us, who has no contact with us, but he is down in the midst 
of exactly what we're dealing with. He understands the emotions. He understands temptation. He understands the difficulty of walking through this life. And he did it, he did it the exact same way that we are asked to. That's what was going on. At the baptism at the Jordan Man, he's baptized. He is then given the power of the Holy Spirit. Boom, he goes to be tempted. He had to resist temptation the same way we do. If you don't think he was tempted, go back and look at the Garden of Gethsemane. When he was totally tempted to try to find a different way, going so far as to ask God, even though he knew the answer, Lord, if there's another way, please let me not do what I'm about to have to do. He was tempted to fear. He was tempted to be anxious. He was tempted, probably not sure that he could handle what it is God had told him he could. But by the power of the Holy Spirit, he persevered. Jesus can sympathize with us. And part of him loving us is that ability. And that's part of the way mama's love too. Christ's love for us is undeniably sacrificial. Ephesians 5.2 says this. It tells us, and walk in love. And walk in love. Just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us. An offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. Just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us. There is no picture of sacrificial love that comes anywhere close to the beauty and the majesty we see at the, at the cross of Christ. However, if there's a close second, I'd say it's the love of a mama for her children. I'd say it's the love that is required to put up with what kids put mamas through. Um, and I mean, from gestation all the way till college and beyond, uh, moms have a hard job. There's a lot of sacrifice. There's a high price paid. And um, I think it's really good that we have a day to stop, pay attention, and say thank you. So thank you again, moms. We need natural mothers to love like Jesus, and we need every woman of God to rise up as gospel mothers to the motherless. Because here's the truth, guys. A mother's love is vital and irreplaceable. And some of, you, some of you ladies, by letting God, by his Holy Spirit, expand your capacity to love, to love people as if they were your own children that maybe you have no connection to biologically, allowing God to, to ask that of you and then to empower you to do it, that could be in the difference between them ending up trusting Jesus or not. A mother's love is so formative and vital, it, it, it cannot be replaced. That's the point. And so... We do need you ladies empowered by God's spirit to look to open up your arms and welcome in those that have not been loved in that way. It's going to help them to understand better the love of Christ. Do you see that? A dad, I love my kids in a certain way. I protect them. I provide for them. I discipline them, right? And so my kids are going to learn some elements of the love of God from me as a papa. But my kids are going to learn a different angle and a different part of the love of God from their mama who shelters them and takes care of them and makes sure they're nourished and hugs on them and kisses them. And, I, and of course, I hug and I'm the, probably the huggiest dad. I'd win a contest if there was one. I'm, I'm a huggy dad. But um, bottom line is they're going to learn some things from mom they can't learn from me. You see that? And vice versa. And that's a beautiful thing. I feel prompted by the Holy Spirit to stop for a minute. This is nowhere in my notes. I just want to say something because I mentioned it. 
I am very thankful that my mom decided to go through what she went through, that she did have me. I didn't mention, actually, that what she did was give me up for adoption. That was the option that she took, and I'm really thankful she did that instead of the other option. But I also want to say to you that if, um, if you're a lady in here and sometime in your life you were put in a situation to make that kind of decision and you didn't have anybody lovingly speaking the truth to you and you made a different call, I want to say to you that forgiveness is available for you as well, that Jesus loves you, that you are no less a citizen in God's kingdom because of that, you're no less welcome because of that, and that uh, all sin is a result of lies and deception. I really hate the devil, and I really hate the fact that anybody ever has bought into the lie in, in any part or place in mankind that that would be a good option to take. And if you have, I just want to say that God's grace is available to you, that we love you. There's restoration available for you, and nobody's judging you about that. We want to hug you and love you, okay? And that's the way God the Father would deal with it, all right? So we love you very much. Age and relational status are not barriers to gospel motherhood. I want to say that one more time. Age and relational status are not barriers to gospel motherhood. If you are a woman who has been bought with the precious blood of Christ, if you are a woman that was an imperfect sinner, but then you were rescued from slavery to sin by grace through faith in Christ, if you have been given freely the love of God poured out on us through the finished work of Christ at his cross, then you, in turn, have that to pour out on others. And this is the essence of being a gospel mother. So what do I mean? I'm saying age and relational status are not barriers to gospel motherhood. You do not have to be married to be a gospel mother. You see that? What you need is to have been loved by Christ and be able to share that love with somebody else. You don't have to be the age you consider to be mom age to be a gospel mother. You can be a gospel mother to someone that's, I've seen this happen, older than you. I've had... Several men tell me I'm a gospel father to them, and they outrank me by quite a bit in age. Age is not as big of a factor as we would make it out to be. What the big factor is, do you have a capacity for love? Have you been loved by Christ, and are you willing to share that love with someone else? If you are, you can be a gospel mama, and please do it, because there's desperate need. May we be a people who live in light of the gospel we believe. May we never be counted among those who merely say we belong to Christ. May we be a people who operate in unity, crushing the walls that so often separate people. So we may accomplish much for God's kingdom and thus bring him glory. May we be a people who never underestimate the importance of mothers. May we celebrate them and honor them and receive them as a gift that they are. Happy Mother's Day, Love City. Let's pray. Father, we come before you now in the name of Jesus. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you for your providential hand moving on our behalf that even though I didn't plan well, we ended up in a text today in the midst of a series that allowed us to talk about gospel mothers. Lord, I am thankful for every mama within the sound of my voice. I'm thankful for every mother that calls Love City home. I ask, Lord God, first of all, you would anoint them to continue the task to, um, to be a mama to their, their children. That, that they would be examples first, but then they would also, with their words, lead and guide those children to love you and serve you and worship you all the days of their life. I ask, Lord God, that you'd also increase the capacity uh, for love in the hearts of every single woman here that's been saved by your grace. 
that she would have a larger capacity to welcome. Like Jesus said, that he longed like a, like a mother hen to gather those that were hurting underneath his wings. May these mothers have that same heart that is in Christ. May they not be able, may they not be able to turn off their empathy gift. <laughs> may they uh, only excel in it more and more. And Lord God, we ask that as these, as these women, as they walk in the anointing of gospel mothers, that Lord, this will have an incredible impact in your kingdom, that those that have not been loved in that way ever, that they begin to understand the beauty and the majesty and, and the perfection of the love that you have for us. May they understand that they are loved by you when these ladies are willing to love them. Lord, we ask for your strength and for your power for that to happen. I just thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you that it's perfect and it addresses all things. I thank you, Lord, that we can trust you. And uh, I just thank you for faithful mothers. They can't be replaced. We give you praise and honor. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Love City Church, located in Cincinnati, Ohio. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. To give or find out more about Love City Church, visit www.mylovecitychurch.org.